It's been a crazy week, but Norwich City are now just one win away from winning the championship title. Promotion already in the bag, back to winning ways, but there is far more going on than just within Norwich City circles at the moment. With the emergence of the threat of the Super League, we are joined by Canaries Trust Chairman Robin Sainty to hear all about their work and an important time for football overall. But of course, we will be getting stuck into that 3-1 win at QPR, which was so important to this week to start with. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here alongside Robin and Connor Southwell, as ever. Uh, you can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And, uh, well, yeah, let's let's kick off with, well, I, I just wanted to run through a few few things, really. We've Connor, you've had your sponsored silence this week for uh, 24 hours. The TNC boys um, also did their 24-hour sort of live video on, on YouTube. So well done to them. They've raised about 20 grand, haven't they? And you raised loads of money for your cause. So that there's been that sort of nice fan element going on. And, and you might be able to see, for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, that me and Connor have both got this... Uh, uh, new club special edition shirt hanging behind us, Robin. If I if I come to you on on that to kick off with, uh, which has been revealed this morning on on Sunday, this uh, well, it's a re- a really nice idea, really nice concept to to start with. Um, in terms of the actual look of it, I, I quite like it. Um, maybe it's one that was perhaps better in the mind than it is actually turned out to be, but I still think it's really nice and and, and unique. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit too busy for me, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's the thought behind it. I, I think it's a great gesture by the club. Um, you know, the fact that they've they've knocked it out at such a low price, and they're still giving five quid per shirt to the atmosphere group, which is going to have a tremendous effect on the atmosphere at Carrow Road next season. So, yeah, four marks all around, I think. And Connie, you were our catwalk model again this morning on Facebook to, to reveal another Norwich City shirt. What, what, what was the sort of feedback you were getting? I, I've sort of seen a bit mixed, but I think most people are, are pretty positive about it. Yeah, not probably not the best person to be modelling it, to be honest. But yeah, I, I think I think that I think most people understand the sentiment behind it, don't they? And it's um, it, it's it's been for for all I've seen met with a, a lot of praise. Again, I think the the word I used when I first saw it was funky, um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. I think, I think in terms of the sort of sentiment and the messaging, particularly with everything that's gone on this week, I think a lot of people are, are just really appreciative that um, the club have, have sort of shown this gesture to them. Obviously, it's very difficult at the moment with, with people having to, to stay at home and not be allowed in Carrow and behind closed doors football. And it just helps, I think, for me um, with that sort of connection element to it and, and bringing the fans closer to the club again. So, yeah, a really nice idea. Um, funky shirt, but uh, but yeah, um, I, I think it's it's one personally that's that's grown on me a little bit. Yeah, the, yeah, the timing has worked out brilliantly because obviously this is something the club will have been working on for for quite a while. So uh, fair play to them. That's uh, that's nice. Um, it's, it's, it feels like a nice sort of community spirit behind everything. But ultimately, Robin, the big thing has been getting back to winning ways at, at QPR, isn't it? How how concerned were you after the Watford game about about the the title? They were still five points clear. You you still pretty comfortable that they would get get back on track yeah i think so i mean it, obviously nobody likes to uh, to see the side lose lose two in a row but i think there were mitigating factors in in both cases i mean you know i think we'd have taken bournemouth to the cleaners had uh, we not had the red card um so you know you can write that one off um watford 
just wanted it more than, than we did. It was, you know, that they had to win. We didn't have to win. We'd been celebrating. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think my concern was the, the whole sort of momentum issue. Um, you know, anybody who's, who's played the game knows that it's it's very, very difficult to to pick up momentum once you've let it slip. Um, so that that was a concern. And yeah, clearly Watford were were on a high. Um, I expected Watford to beat Millwall yesterday and I thought it would be a tough game at QPR. But, you know, we made it a little bit more difficult than it needed to be. But uh, in the end, it was a pretty comfortable win. Yeah, it it was a, a response. I mean, Daniel Farker described it as we responded in style and, you know, they created a lot of chances, didn't they, Connor? When you think about just, just for one example, Kieran Dow, you know, he had four, four attempts on goal. He set up that big chance for Pukki. They they played really well at QPR, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And it's that word, isn't it, response? I think they did need to show that after the week they've had. And it's a rare position. And like Robin says, there was plenty of mitigation. Um, I, I maybe didn't view it in, in the same way that, that some supporters did as a, a window into the Premier League because, uh, and I mentioned this, I think, in, in a show earlier this week, if, if you look back at that um, season two years ago, I think they beat Aston Villa twice and yet lost them both times in the Premier League. So what does it really mean? I, I just don't think you can you can view it in that way. But this was, I think, what we wanted to see because three defeats then would have been a concern. And, and, and like we said, this time there were no excuses. There were no sort of celebrations eating into preparation or or anything like that. They had to go out and, and perform and stamp their authority again. And, and and they did that. I think it took them a little while. They grew into it a little bit. Still in the first half, there were probably um, a little bit of lack of precision, maybe I'd describe it in terms of some of the passes and some of the touches. But um, yeah, very comfortable in the end, minus that sort of little spell in, in the second half where QPR brought Charlie Austin and, and Albert Adoma on. So, yeah, really a really good performance, a good response. And it, it just shows, doesn't it, when they're um, at their level and, and, and they're on it, they're better than than anyone else in the, in, in this league and, and by quite a comfortable margin as well because you've got to consider QPR were third in the form table as well. So, it's not like that they've they've rocked up to some mid-table team who who are on the beach. I know mathematically they couldn't get into the playoffs, but um, uh, Robin spoke about momentum there. I think they would have been keen to take that into next season. So, yeah, a big win. I think that that that's pretty much the title now, isn't it? Um, and it was important in the grand scheme of things because if they'd have dropped points again yesterday, then I think we we would have been having that conversation about maybe a slip up and Watford catching up in in a bit more depth. So. Um, uh, an important win gives them a little bit of breathing space and just calms everything down and allows people to celebrate again. Yeah, can I just jump in on, on something that Connor said there about the you know people reading the runes from the fact that we we were doubled by Bournemouth and, and Watford. Bournemouth lost to Brentford yesterday. We beat Brentford. You know, it's yeah. it's the championship. This is what happens. And the reality is that we're going to have a different side out there in the in the Premier League. So what happens this year has no real bearing on what happens next year. No. And as you said earlier, there's a lot of context around those games as well, aren't there? So I, I don't think you can read anything too hard no. into it. Um, what I mean, what's interesting going forward, we're, we're recording ahead of... Uh, Reading playing Swansea so if they don't win that then they uh, their playoff hopes are over as well although they're already looking very slim um, and even a win today might not be enough but Barnsley are uh, pretty much certain to be in the playoffs now so there's a good chance Robin that both of these final two games are against teams with with, with nothing really to play for so it might have might have actually set up quite nicely but you know on 93 points and from what we saw yesterday I, I think the vast, vast majority of Norwich fans will be confident that they're going to get it over the line now. 
Yeah, I would expect us to win the last two games, to be honest. I, I think, you know, Barnsley, Barnsley are a decent side who've had a good run, but, you know, I, I think that they're running out of steam a little bit at the moment. Um, I don't think the pitch over there suits us terribly well, uh, but it's going to be rather different to the FA Cup game, which was a bit of a mud heap. Obviously, things will have dried yeah. out by now. But, um, but, yeah, I would expect us to win the last two games. And crucially, probably as well, Watford play Brentford and Swansea. So, you know, they, they haven't got, um, they've got decent opposition, even though, you know, Swansea might still have something to play for. Brentford, um, Brentford, of course, are already in the playoffs and can't make the uh, top two. So it's going to be interesting. One thing that um, promotion has sort of fired the starting pistol on, Connor, is transfer rumours, isn't it? We've all of a sudden, um, as expected, it is going to be a hectic summer on that front. We've got another couple arrived um, over the weekend. The Daily Mail saying that Villa are looking at Todd Campwell as a possible Jack Grealish replacement. Uh, the Sun saying Nottingham Forest defender Joe Worrell. There's been a few already, haven't there? It's It's, it's been a hectic start, hasn't it? And I think probably what, what we all expected. I think for me, the, the probably... Um, the positive aspect is that this this has arrived now once promotion's done and the title's nearly clinched and not two, three weeks ago when maybe it would have had a bit more of a profound impact. Um, yeah, certainly the, the air and stuff that, that's emerged this week, um, as, as we understand it, no contact from West Ham. Daniel Farker confirmed on Friday that they certainly weren't in advance talks of anybody. So it's just part and parcel of it, isn't it? And, and, and thankfully, hopefully, um, as Todd Camp Campbell spoke about in, in, in the interview he did with the, the club podcast, hopefully those players have have learned how to deal with that speculation now and, and, and can maybe keep themselves um, sort of separate to it. But yeah, it's, it's not it's not particularly helpful. Nobody likes to see Norwich City's best players get linked to a move away, but it's a reality, isn't it? And mm. what I would caveat that is by saying that, quite frankly, these these clubs in the Premier League wouldn't be doing their job if they weren't scouting Emmy Buendia, Max Aarons, Todd Campwell. It, it, would, it would be a travesty, really, and, and you'd question their scouts over maybe where they're looking and, and why they aren't coming across these talents. So it's, it is a difficult one for Norwich. It is part and parcel of it. They should hopefully be used to it now. And um, uh, and yeah, I don't see too much in, in anything, really, that we've seen so far, um, to, to be completely honest. Maybe, maybe the... The, the Mets centre-back that got linked with, with a move to Norwich. I think France is obviously a market they're going to look at because of the collapse TV deal and the financial opportunities that that, that will present. But yeah, in terms of the outgoings, um, Everton clearly would be an attractive proposition, I think, if there was money put on the table. But we're not at that stage yet. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's just a case, I think, for Norwich fans to treasure these players while they're here and, and equally know that I remember when James Madison left and, and, and people were going, well, how, how did Norwich replace him? And then suddenly uh, an Argentinian rocks up from the, the Spanish second division. So uh, contingency planning will be in place regardless of what happens. And is it a shame? Yes. But equally, that there'll be there'll be someone else. And, and, and we know this is always the case with Norwich. So I wouldn't worry about it too much at this stage, if I'm being completely honest. Well, it'll be um, it'll be very interesting. We'll keep you up to date with all of that, of course, at Pinkin.com. But we'll park it just for the moment because I think we'll talk about transfers and uh, and whatever for a lot this summer and once the games are out of the way. Um, but before we dive into the QPR game properly, Robin, one thing I did want to uh, mention was the really good work from the fan groups involved in those messages that were at, left at Colney for... Uh, so when they went back to training on Monday morning, they had these lovely little cards with individual personalised messages for, for each player. Uh, so that's I think that's along come Norwich and Barkley and Norwich who did that. Yeah. What, what did you make of that? That seemed like a, another really nice idea, which has just fed into this sort of fan-based week almost. 
Yeah, I think it's it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, we're really lucky at Norwich. We've, we've got a whole range of fan groups who, who've all got sort of different roles and do different things and bring different things to the party. And, uh, you know, we we enjoy working with, with, with the other groups out there. Hopefully they enjoy working with us. And <laughs> there's some great work being done. Um, you know, you've you've got that. You've got the um, the Talk Norwich um, charity thing, the thing that Connor did. You know, it's, it's wonderful. It, it, you know, this is such a community club, and we should be so proud of of what we have here. And and you have to say that a lot of that is down to Delia and Michael and their ownership uh, and the way they they want the club to be. But it runs all the way through the club. It runs through through Stuart Weber. It runs through Daniel Farker. It runs through Zoe Ward. Ben Kensel. There are a lot of great people at this club doing great things. Certainly a lot to be proud of this week. Right, let's get stuck into the QPR game then. And unchanged team, Connor, but Javi Kintia. Um, if you don't shoot, you don't score, but a terrible piece of goalkeeping. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it helped him to play, be playing in a mask, to be honest. It certainly wasn't a Superman mask, was it, the way he, he juggled that ball? But yeah, to, you, you, yeah, you almost feel sort of sympathy with a goalkeeper when, when that kind of happens. He just almost sort of went straight through him, didn't it? It was, it was very bizarre, both in person and on replay. But um, yeah, really good for Xavi Quintillo. I think maybe uh, you, could, you could see, I think, the, the adulation of his teammates and, and obviously went to celebrate with some of the substitutes as well. And he's, he's clearly someone that has a good impact in the dressing room irrespective of of maybe not playing too much football this year because of injuries and, and various things and um and, and yeah good to see him get on the score sheet as well I think you've, you've got to be pleased for him because he, he's a very likable chap I think uh, just just the way he is and as a footballer there's clearly talent there do I think he fits into a Daniel Farker side not particularly compared to when, with, with Demetrius Yunulis I think Norwich almost have to change the way they operate those fullbacks but um it's clearly a good player there. He's played in La Liga. He's um, he's not uh, some unknown from wherever. You know, he he has got 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 talent, and I think we've seen that in glimpses this season, and especially going forward and kind of his deliveries and, and and his attacking output. So it was good to see him have a shot. It was good to see Norwich City have a shot. I think from outside the area for a change, and it was good to see one um, end up in the back of the net. So yeah, it was um, it was a good goal at an important time, I think. And um, what was it, Emmy Buendia's sixteenth assist of the season, which is just staggering really so all around plenty to be positive about good for Quintia particularly given that he's possibly going to get a little bit of a run to end the season and, and that this may be his last run in, in a Norwich shirt so um, if it is what a way to bow out by winning the title. Yeah Robin what have you made of Quintia? I mean obviously he, he's had a bit of bad luck hasn't he with the the injury and he had a Covid diagnosis in in January but in in general so my look on it is, is similar to what Connor said there but the biggest issue for me is defensively he just doesn't seem to have picked up the the, the rhythm and the, the the strength required in in the game because you, know, you look at a couple of the early even the goal the QPR goal there's too many crosses coming in from his side at the moment he doesn't have that physicality that you you knew this has but he's but he's probably a good player for someone isn't he it just doesn't quite feel like Norwich yeah, yeah, I think I think he struggles in the system that we we play. Um, the pressure on the fullbacks in in our system is tremendous, uh, and it's very difficult for a player to, to be in and out in the way that he has, uh, particularly in a successful side uh, as well. But 
yeah, he's he's much better going forward than he is defensively. But he lacks pace that Giannoulis has, but he also doesn't read the game as well. Um, you look at Giannoulis's uh, interception record, the number of times he steps into space and picks up a pass um, you know, is, is quite incredible. And we've looked much, much stronger defensively with, with him in there. Um, but even so, you know, there have been occasions when he's been left one-on-one uh, and, and, and struggled a bit. I remember Mwamba against uh, Brentford caused him a few problems. It's very, very difficult, you know, and, and unless there's cover from the midfield, it can be very, very lonely for our fullbacks in the system that we play. Yeah, it can. There's a lot expected of them, as we know from from Max and Jamal in the past. Uh, Daniel Farkas certainly does demand a lot of them. Let me bounce back to you, Robin, as well, and just give you the opportunity, the first opportunity to eulogise about the number one again, that man, Tim Krull, who, you know, Norwich fans absolutely love him now, don't they? He, he must be up there with with the Norwich City goalkeeping greats, of which he's got some some great competition to sort of force his way into. But once again, just like the Rotherham away game, his penalty save, absolutely crucial to a win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once he quits football, he's got a career as a psychiatrist if he wants it. Because <laughs> his ability to get into players' heads is, is, is amazing. You could see that he completely freaked Dykes out yesterday. Um, you know, you could almost see the lad's mind whirring over as he stood at the end of his run-up. He, he just didn't know what to do, you know, whether to just smash it or try and place it um, and ended up not really doing either. So, yeah, um, he, he, he's he been absolutely tremendous well, ever since he came to Norwich. Obviously, he had a little bit of a sticky start because he'd been out of football for so long. But once, uh, once he got into gear, He's been absolutely brilliant. And it's not just the saves he makes, it's the way he organises the defence. It's it's his ability on the ground because that's that's an absolute key to the way that we, that we play. You could see that when when he was uh, injured and Mike McGovern was playing because McGovern did a good job in terms of, of pure goalkeeping, but in terms of uh, uh, passing, he... he was probably 20, 25, 30% as effective as, as Tim. Uh, and we struggled as, as a result of that in terms of our system. He was good in midweek against Watford as well, wasn't he, Connor? There was a, particularly that double save. But he, he's had another excellent season. He's probably not going to win player of the season again because it's not usual for a goalkeeper to when a team hopefully has won a title, certainly has won promotion. Um, but... Overall, his reputation, a bit like Robin says there, is preceding him now, isn't it? When when people have to face him with a penalty, they know that he does his homework. They know that he's going to bounce around and be annoying. And, well, we should probably say that there was no doubt about the penalty. Grant Hanley got himself in a muddle, didn't he, and almost ended up rugby tackling the, their player. But um, the the way that Krull celebrated when he reclaimed the loose ball and, and roared with it, that was uh, that was quite the moment, and if Norwich now do go on to to lift the trophy in the next couple of weeks, I think we um, I think we'll all remember that moment. Yeah, big players, big moments. I think back to Rotherham as well, where he did exactly the same, and it was it was almost a turning point, wasn't it? Norwich had had a fairly slow start, and that really, I mean, they would have been what two nil in in that game, would it? By the time he saved that penalty, so crucial moment and again th- those players that you can rely upon to produce those big moments uh, are often 
key to, to any success. And, and like you say, those 93 points, you could probably delve through them and, and pick out individual contributions through the way. But him in particular, I think, has made some some really big saves. And you mentioned Watford. I thought he was probably Norwich's best player by, by quite a clear way against Watford, produced a, a number of good saves. And I think what often gets lacked is maybe the, the concentration element. It's really hard as a goalkeeper when um, uh, you're watching essentially a team as good as Norwich every week and then you, you still have to make sure you're still alert and awake because you, you may have two shots to, to save as opposed to 30 or, or whatever he had in the Premier League last season. That's incredibly difficult to maintain the standards and to maintain the focus. And I think his experience helps, but he's the best goalkeeper in the division. I think that's quite quite clear. Um, Daniel Farkas said it. I think that's probably the the um, the view of most championship fans as well. So it's a, a really important position, as Robin has stated. It's a really hard position to fill because Norwich place extra demands on what that goalkeeper has to do. And he's, he's not just a decent shot stopper or a penalty saver, penalty killer, if you like. He's um, he, he also commands his area. He's also very vocal. I think um, that, that's maybe been lost a little bit because obviously fans haven't been in grounds, but he's so vocal, not necessarily always to his back four either. He's, uh, you can hear him sometimes really barking at Emi Buendia to get back in position. Uh, there'll be times where he's praising players for, for little bits. There'll be time where he's having to go at the referee for a decision that's been made 80 yards up the pitch. So look, you, you need that from a goalkeeper and, and he's such a, a good character for the group and um, yeah I'd, I'd echo everything Robin said he's been he's been brilliant since he arrived at Norwich City and I, I guess the fear was that maybe he would he would have a drop off after that that brilliant Premier League campaign but I don't think that's been the case at all I think obviously like you say he's going to get overlooked for player of the season because of Emi Buendia and and, um, and and various others Grant Hanley Kenny McLean Ollie Skip but certainly I think when you boil it down his contributions have, have been really important yeah, that, certainly in terms of rumour mills, I don't think we need to be worrying about goalkeepers. It's just going to be the backup, isn't it? Whether, um, you know, McGovern stays a third choice and then whether it's Neyland who remains a second or they feel they can get in a, a bit of an upgrade to, to keep pushing cruel hard. But yeah, his personality is great. And, and that concentration point, um, you know, five minutes after the goal from Kintia, Lyndon Dykes went through, didn't he? And he saved with his feet. And again, it's that timing of the save. So he uh, he's a massive part of things. And you, you can see with the launch of the uh, special edition kit today, you know, he's at the, the forefront of that. And you can tell it means something to him. We, we all know that, that, that Tim's a good guy and that he, he fits the fits the ethos of things really here at Norwich, doesn't he? So um, that was, I think the penalty actually ended up being taken in the 55th minute. And then within two minutes, Max Aarons... Uh, fittingly flying through the air at the back post, Robin, to, to turn in a wonderful Kenny Mulcahy cross. And that felt like it meant, well, it clearly meant a lot to the team because they knew how how important the goal was. But also for Max, uh, given that his profile is so high, to score a goal like that at the moment, as it was a good finish, I'm sure uh, as much as the current situation was good, I'm sure his agent was probably punching the air. Um, and in terms of Max's future prospects, for if one of those big boys are to come in for him this summer, it probably has just given him a nice little boost. But in terms of a goal, it was lovely, wasn't it? Oh, it's a fantastic finish. Yeah, I mean, any striker would have been pleased with that. It's so it's so difficult, a, a narrow angle to get power and precision. And, and he got both. Um, absolutely superb, didn't he? What do you think of Max overall this season? Um, maybe he hasn't grabbed too many headlines maybe because he's a known quantity as opposed to two years ago he hasn't quite had as much attention on him but i think the i think he's even used the word isn't he consistency that has been the big part of his game yeah yeah i mean he 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 really does look the finished product now um 
two years ago, as you say, he was an unknown quantity and, and he was given a lot more freedom. Um, teams now realise that he's absolutely key to the way Norwich plays, so they look to shut him down. He, he's not been able to get forward as much uh, as he did two years ago or even last season, but he's changed his, his game. He's adapted to that. Um, he's a lot more... He's less of a dasher. He's more circumspect. You know, he, he's quite happy to go backwards, to go forwards. Um, and he's, he's still got the confidence to, to play his way out of, of very, very tight situations, which obviously is, from a fan point of view, slightly worrying sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> nine times out of ten, it works. So, yeah, I mean, he, he, he really does look a top-quality player and... and um, I'm sure that a lot of big clubs are going to be looking at him and, and you can understand why. Yeah, and Daniel Farkas said similar on Friday that he needs to go to a top club, really, doesn't he? Because he needs to be playing attacking football. That's where he is best served. And um, if you're digging in into a relegation battle, maybe Max isn't quite your man because he's not brilliant defensively. He's, he's good, um, but we all know that it's being progressive that is, is really his game. Um, QPR get the goal back, Connor, a 71st minute from Dykes, the, the Scotland international who missed the, the penalty. Um, just to look at the stats, Norwich had 58% of possession, 19 shots and seven on target compared to 14 shots and five on target for QPR. So that emphasises how much of a, uh, a difficult game this was really and how they had to play well to win it. QPR had beaten Brentford, Bournemouth, Watford and Swansea uh, in 2021. They'd won three on the spin. They were very much a dangerous opposition, but they looked a lot better. You mentioned Adoma earlier, but also Charlie Austin, when he came on, he, he did rattle Norwich quite a bit, didn't he? Yeah, he's just a big physical presence, isn't he? With elbows wow. flying, old-fashioned. Yeah, he, he's so dominant. I think airily and physically, and it, it was a it was a big test, and it, it gave QPR a focal point as well. And, and Norwich really struggled to to get out, and and there was a real push, I think, from from QPR to try and exploit that sort of ten minutes after he, he came on. It was a real aerial aerial bombardment that, that Norwich had to face. He had a couple of of headers, I think probably his two big chances he was offside for but it just goes to show he still has that instinct doesn't he and you can see why he's played in the Premier League for so long and uh, and been considered for England he might even have an England cap or two um, you, you can you can see why with, with, with the quality that he has at this level um, but equally again we, we talk about sort of moments in games and the way games sort of ebb and flow Norwich responded to that and um, they rode that period out good teams managed to do that and, um, and, and then when they did get up the pitch they made sure that they made it count by getting that crucial third goal and from there really all of QPR's momentum was was sucked out of the game so yeah you have to give credit I think for, for Mark Warburton because those changes is um, a domer on the right as well caused caused real havoc. I think for for Xavi Quinty and we spoke about maybe his, his defensive struggles. I think that was that was highlighted maybe more in the second half when when the domer came on, um, and it and it just felt like every cross was coming from that side to be honest. But Norwich rode the storm. They got up the pitch and and then they made their quality count again. And that's what good teams too that they're, they're able to sit in and ride through those periods and and come through them. Um, so they deserve credit, I think, for the response they gave that in-game. But that was probably driven as well by um, a bit more stability. We saw Sorensen come on and he sort of um, asserts calm, I think, when when he comes onto the pitch. Norwich had to change their shape a little bit in midfield as well. Kenny McLean was then asked to push on a little bit. So 
the combination of, of tweaks and a good response, but it helped them get the third goal that killed the game. And that's what you need to do, particularly away from home, because there's a bit more ex- expectation on 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 the sort of the home team to come out and, and have a go when they are behind. And QPR did that. And it was always going to be about how Nor- Norwich stood up to it. And I think um, they, they, they stood up to it pretty well in the whole. Yeah, Sorensen had come on, hadn't he? And uh, just to steady things. We haven't mentioned before that goal went in, Robin, there was an almost remarkable miss from Tami Puki, who I just couldn't believe that he missed. It was really lovely play from Skip, Dowell and, and Campwell. Dowell plays him clean through. And it's funny with, with Tami, he, he's admitted it quite openly, really, that he should have scored a lot more goals this season, which is mad when you think he's on 25 already. But from watching it from afar, could you believe he'd actually put it wide? <laughs> well, no, it, it was a bad miss. But, you know, I think is. As a striker, you you actually don't really enjoy those sort of chances. You prefer the instinctive ones because the problem is you have so much time to think about what you're going to do um, that you can end up well doing what Dykes did with the penalty. Really, you know, you you, you second guess yourself, and I think that's what happened with Timo. He, he just couldn't make his mind up what he was going to do, and uh, ended up making a bit of a hash of it, which is uh, yeah unusual, but. Yeah, you know, uh, at the end of the day, if strikers took all their chances, they'd be scoring 50, 60, 70 goals a season. <laughs> yeah, it's funny with Puki. He quite often, when he just is instinctive, it's when it's better for him. When he's got a bit of time to think, he sometimes um, ends up flapping at things, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, he probably should have been pushing even uh, Ivan Tony for the um, golden boot a lot, a lot harder. And, and remarkable to think that he could have surpassed the 29 league goals he scored two years ago but um as Connor said they, they got the job done any pretty simple 14th goal of the season but again we, we've got to give a bit of love to Kenny McLean haven't we because not only won the ball back and uh, quickly exchanged passes with Cantwell but perfect pass and he's played he probably isn't going to be in contention for the top three for player of the season I wouldn't have thought but he has been a massive part of things this season hasn't he Robin? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's Mr. Consistency, isn't he? Um, he? He took a long while to to win over sections of the crowd. I, I think it's it's difficult for any midfielder to come into to Norwich when you've got Emi Buendia in there because he's he's the yardstick that everybody measures you against, and and you know, he's he's a wonderful flair player. Kenny isn't a flair player. Um, although he's a lot more skillful than people sometimes give him credit for. I think he reads the game very well. He's got a great left foot. Um, he's always likely to pitch in with a, with a goal now and again. But he's had a, a fair number of assists, I would, I would think, over the course of the season. Uh, and the partnership between him and Skip has obviously been instrumental in, in City's dominance of the, the championship. Yeah, and Connor, just finally on the game, you spoke to Kenny after the match, didn't you, at Loftus Road or the, the Kyan Prince Stadium, as it's actually properly called, isn't it? The Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium, um, which is a, a nice community initiative. QPR, a really good community club, actually, in a, in a lot of ways, the stuff that they do. Um, but Kenny, yes, as, as Robin says, a, an integral part of, of things this season. There was also that run in the first half, wasn't there, where he, he sort of surged past everyone and then um, Dow had a deflected shot, say. But what was his sort of vibe after the game? Um, had he uh, shaken off the hangover? Just about. Yeah, just about, I think. You no, know, he was pretty good, pretty reflective. Um, I, I asked him mainly on sort of what, uh, what what the week's been like because Norwich have been in the rare position of having a couple of defeats and how important it was that they kind of responded to that at, at Loftus Road or the Key and Prince Foundation Stadium, rather. And, um, and, and he made it pretty clear that the, the 
worked hard. They'd had to sort of knuckle down again, maybe he, he kind of hinted at, but because there were no excuses, they couldn't say this time that they were celebrating too hard and they didn't have enough time to prepare or anything like that. It was kind of an opportunity for them to, to put it right. And he said how sort of disappointed they were that they didn't or, or can't now reach 100 points. But equally, it's, it's all about the title, isn't it? And, and particularly for a group and, and a coach as well in Daniel Farker that has such high standards, I think that there will be some regrets in, in that dressing room maybe about the last two fixtures but he was very keen to say that they didn't dwell on it they spoke about the issues they addressed them and I think he, he used the phrase where he just sort of said those and then said that's us that's what we do and, and that's that's why we have the mentality we have and that was a, a, a really nice bit of, of insight as well so yeah I think I think he, he said to um, to Chris Gorham that he, he's, he's going to try and climb onto the, the balcony at City Hall even if there's no one there so that might, <laughs> that, that might be something to watch in the weeks ahead. <laughs> yes, someone at the city council needs to get the mayor's hat down to Carrow Road on Saturday, just in case, don't they? <laughs> or up at Barnsley or something. But um, it, it sounds like they, if they win it, that they won't get the trophy until uh, they're at Oakwell anyway, which it sounds like it's the EFL protocol for it to be on the final day, which is a little bit of a shame. But um, the big thing would just be get it done against Reading at home at Carrow Road on home turf. Then you've got another week to have a have a good old piss up and 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 enjoy yourself and and really celebrate again and. And, and make the most of the moment because it would also mean the club record being broken, wouldn't it? It would be up to 96 points. OK, they can't get 100 now, but very, very few teams do. And it's just about putting the cherry on, on top. Welcome to the new normal. Hello and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Right, let's finish uh, this week's pod then, Robin. As we've got you on the, in, in the wake of the, all the Super League fuss, um, which has been a, a disgrace, a laughable disgrace in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's quite um, comforting to hear people uh, who are billionaires who supposedly are, are so wise in what they what they managed to do in life act completely incompetently um but to start with um just describe the canaries trust to us uh, as if uh, just for, for our listeners who may not have come across the trust before uh, on its most basic level what is the work that the trust does with the club okay well i mean we have uh, a memorandum of understanding with the club uh, which is a is basically an agreement that they'll share information with us um uh, the confidentiality agreements and and, and and so on in certain respects um but we have a quarterly meeting uh with ben kensel and other senior officials um to talk through issues that, that matter to to our members um but we also uh raise money and, and buy shares in the club which are then held uh, in trust for, for the fans and as a result of what we've done over the last five years the, the fans of Norwich City are now the 12th largest shareholder in the club um, which is vitally important uh, I think in the in the context of what's happened over the last week you know people are, are really switching on to the fact that the, the biggest say uh, and the biggest stake that fans have in a club the better um, because um, fans need to be listened to you know they are the lifeblood of, of, of football uh and uh obviously we now have a fan-led review um 
from uh, the government, which has been announced this week, which they've been dragging their feet on for ages. Uh, it's amazing how things like the Super League concentrate the mind. Um, so we'll be looking to contribute to that, obviously, as well. Um, but we do lot, we do lots of other things. Um, we've got a, a women in uh, women in football section, which is looking at promoting the the uh, women's game in general, and obviously working with the Norwich ladies team. Um, we work with the Football Sporters Association uh, on things like Kick It Out, um, you know, anti-racism, anti-homophobia. Uh, we've been very active on safe standing uh, and uh, wider football politics, really. Um, but the relationship with the club is key to that, uh, and it hasn't always been as good as it is now. Um, Certainly when um, Jez Moxie was here, it wasn't very good at all. Um, but we've been very lucky. I mean, uh, Ed Balls um, moved things forward when he was chairman. Um, Steve uh, Stone uh, did, a, did a great job as well. And, and uh, you know, Ben, Zoe and Stuart uh, have taken it even further. So we, we feel very, very um, honoured to, to have the relationship we, we do. Um, and hopefully that's um, that's resulting in, in benefits for, for the fans. You know, we've, we've been involved in uh, assessments of, of um, the different stands at Carrow Road, looking at things that work well and don't work well. Uh, you know, some of it is, is, is pretty mundane stuff, like the number of ladies' toilets and things like that. Um, but some of it is 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 rather more important. Um, for example, you know, having uh, helplines for for people who suffer sexist, racist, homophobic abuse, um, and obviously, you know, the safe standing thing is a, is a big issue as well. I mean, Glenn Bate, who's a member of the trust board, has worked very very closely with with the club on um, ground safety, getting fans back. Uh, post-COVID and, and, and so on. So there's a huge amount of work going on and it's all been done by by volunteers who give it the time yeah. uh, to do it. Yeah, I mean, we, we know how hard you guys work and I think most Norwich fans are aware of it, but that, that, that is nice that officially the fans are the 12th man of the club at the moment. So you, you'll have to be uh, careful about moving up to 11th place. But um, <laughs> um I'll, I'll come back to you in just a minute, Robin, about the sort of crazy week you guys have had in, in terms of the Super League. But, Connor, what's your sort of take been on it? I mean, I think it, it's, it's widespread agreement that it was a complete joke um, and, and a disgrace. And, and the anti-competitive element of it was just complete. I described it on Twitter as it, it's like football treason, isn't it? It's betraying the heart of, of football. And what's been really interesting that as robin mentions the fan led um review which is going to happen and do you think that maybe we can look to germany and and the way that fans have uh, have retained a, a stake in the game over there and really i suppose i suppose this is the thing that's finally hopefully kicked things into action because none of this is particularly new we've we've known about a lot of these issues in football and and the finances in football for a long time so it is well past time that, that that something changes, isn't it? Yeah, and, and and let's be crystal clear: this this will come back in a different form if nothing yeah. changes. It it won't be the Super League or Project Big Picture. It will be something else. The fact we've had two of these this season, I think, illustrates their intentions. That everyone's known for for a long, long time that those top six clubs have a desire to 
break the system to go and earn more money elsewhere. And if there's an opportunity to do that again, they will do it. I, I'm not buying into the fact that it was out of their good heart and, and, and stuff that they, they turned back. It was because of support or pressure. It wasn't because they woke up or trains were leaving the station. They all made a decision to go and make more money and, and to try and, um, I think Gary Neville used the word attempted murder on, on English football. It did feel like that. And I was speaking to someone the other day and, and they said, if you sat in one of those Premier League meetings, it wouldn't surprise you at all um, that, that this has happened because some officials at those top clubs can't understand why they're even playing teams like Norwich, let alone why Norwich get money out of it. So I've, I've been through a range of emotions this week. I think it started off like most people with just pure anger and then it went to sadness um, and then I think it, it went to real hope when you when you saw the the supporters sort of coming together, the, the protests that we've seen, and 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 just how universal it was with with people rallying around it. But but you're right, Dave. It can't end here. It can't just be a defeat of the Super League and we go on as things are. There does need to be change. There does need to be a look to implement certain policies that are going to improve the future of the game and safeguard it from from stuff like this happening again. Punishments aren't going to be enough. These top six clubs are going to come back with something new and everyone needs to be prepared for that. And that's why this fan-led review that, that Robin spoke about is so important. But equally, there needs to be changes on top of that. There needs to be a look at getting some more fan representation in the game. There needs to be a, a look at getting some diversity of thought around the table rather than just executives of those six clubs that all get to sit on committees because of the title they have. Football needs to change and... I don't think anyone should kid themselves that the way it operates now is is uh, sustainable in the long term because it, it gives power to, to the top six and everyone else is left scrapping around without a voice. And equally, even though the Super League has, has been defeated and the anti-competitiveness of that and the no relegation, which seems to be a concept that obviously American sport doesn't understand. A lot of these clubs it, uh, seem to be owned by American owners. They can't get their head around the concept of relegation. It's not something they have. But equally... Um, like you say, there does need to be a look to get fans involved, to give them more of a say and to ensure that this doesn't happen again. But I think we should all be really encouraged by what's happened. But equally, we can't forget what was attempted here. And it's um, it, it's not going to be something I think that fans of those clubs forget, but, but equally the clubs of, of the fans elsewhere. And, and as someone, of course, who's, who, who reports on a club that's about to join the other 14, so to speak, I, I just think it's it's incredibly sad the way that everything's panned out this week. But I'm hopeful that it will spark the change that needs to happen in the game. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to go too much deeper into the Super League um, now. I want to keep this pretty Norwich focused in terms of this discussion because it's everywhere, isn't it? I, I, I am a little bit sick of <laughs> listening to it on every other podcast and every radio show at the moment. It's but it is going to be fascinating to see how it moves forward in, in terms of punishments and things like that. But there is always a Norfolk angle, of course. That's what the EDP has <laughs> lived by for over 140 years or whatever it is. Um, I had a chap called Ben Curtis uh, message me on Twitter who lives down in London, is a big Norwich fan. Um, he decided to go down to the protests outside Stamford Bridge on Tuesday night. And he had a, uh, a sign that he'd made which said, football belongs to us, underlined, not you, and you in red letters. 
and uh, that the picture of him holding that banner went around the world as quite a few of them did. I, I, I there was a funny one, someone saying cold Tuesday nights at Stoke are ours or something like that, those lines. But he, his picture was on the Financial Times, the Washington Post, uh, Bloomberg News. It travelled all around the world. So uh, well done to Ben for sort of uh, ensuring Norwich fans have, have a voice in it and, and not at all surprising. And as you say, Connor, just typical that this happens the literally the day after Norwich are promoted and, and all of a sudden we're we're scrambling around wondering whether the big six are even going to be in the Premier League but thankfully it looks like we are but but to sort of bring the, the discussion to a close Robin um the, the the trust this week have have seen a lot of interest haven't they on the back of this and 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 also could you maybe put into perspective that Norwich um do have this fan involvement from the trust the 12th biggest uh, ownership how common is that across the board i think just off the top of my head swansea have some fans involved on the board and things like that but uh, i i don't i think i'm right in saying there's not loads of clubs that have fans involved at a, a, a decent level no no there aren't and uh, i i regularly get contacted by people at other clubs who are looking to um try to negotiate mem- memorandums of association with with their clubs to to give them uh you know a better platform to work from and um, a lot of clubs just don't want to know. Um, so yeah, we're in a very, very fortunate position, which is uh, which is fantastic, and it's important that we use that for the benefit of the fans. Mm. And and your busy week here, you've had quite a few uh, sort of uh, quite a bit of fresh interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, normally we pick up a few new members each month. Um, this week in the course of 48 hours, we've got 96 new members, several of them uh, <laughs> lost members uh, and five lapsed members rejoining. Uh, and it's, it's still going on. And uh, long may it continue because the, the bigger voice that we have, uh, the more effective we are uh, and the more we can, we can do for fans. Um, but yeah, you know, there's no, uh, an awful lot of people have said, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to join the Trust for ages. And, uh, you know, again, it's the sort of event that concentrates the mind. So we're great. Uh, you know, it's great to have these people on board and we look forward to uh, to serving them in the future. It's great to see. The, the only part of it, I mean, it's fantastic to see the response that's been throughout football. The one little part of uh, me in the back of my mind wishes that people were as passionate about some of the perhaps even more serious things in life. Uh, in terms of the NHS and 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 various yeah. political issues and stuff like that, but um, that's uh, that's a battle for another day. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, chaps. That was that was really interesting, Robin. Thank you so much for for that insight. Um, thank you very much for listening to this week's show. We'll uh, of course keep the pod going uh, throughout this summer, and we'll uh, we'll have that game on Saturday against Reading. Uh, we'll bring you all of that um, from uh, at Pinkin.com. Um, of course, the club have. Um, publicise that they will be joining this football-wide blackout of social media across the weekend. Um, we're not, we haven't had a chance to fully discuss how we'll uh, uh, approach that yet, but um, I, I would imagine we'll probably be following suit with some, something similar. It'll probably come down to our own personal choices, and, but um, that's, uh, that's going to be a big issue, which we'll discuss more as, as the week goes on, as well as, as social media companies have got to do something to stop all this ridiculous abuse that uh, not just footballers are getting, but, uh, but normal people and, and other famous people as well. So there's a lot going on in the world at the moment, but uh, thank you very much for giving us 45 minutes or so of your time and we will catch up with you very soon.